Well, thank you all. <laughs> I'm not going to even say nothing else more than that. <laughs> so thank you once again for being here this morning, and we want to dive right into God's Word. Amen? Amen. On last Sunday, we started a new series called DNA, um, and just as every human being has DNA, and it makes each human being distinct, we wanted to let you know that every local church has something that makes them uh, distinct. I'm excited about this series because it gives us an opportunity to talk about the, the distinctives of our church. So specifically, over the next few weeks, I'm going to talk about our church mission statement. I want you guys to look at it on the screen. Our mission statement is very simple. Calvary exists to celebrate the gospel through worship and prayer. We exist to proclaim the gospel through preaching and discipleship, and we exist to live out the gospel through fellowship and ministry. We want to be gospel-centered. We want the gospel to be of first importance at all, in all we do. So we want to celebrate something. We want to proclaim something, but we also want to live out something. On last week, we started our series by speaking about the issue of worship. On this past weekend Bible study, we talked more about the mission, and we simply, let, we simply concluded that as a church body, what we are focused on is being a healthy church, right? Uh, just as the biggest person is not the healthiest person, the biggest church isn't the healthiest church. On the other side of that, just as the skinniest person is not the healthiest person, people like me, we enjoy saying that. <laughs> But we want to be a healthy church. We want to be a balanced church. And usually the DNA of every local church, it usually aligns itself with the DNA or the passions of the pastor. If the pastor is passionate about worship, then usually the church focuses on worship. If the pastor is passionate about doctrine, then usually the, the church focuses on doctrine. But I want to submit something to you this morning. We need to be passionate about what the Lord is passionate about. We need to be passionate about everything that God is passionate about. And I want to say this very clearly. God is not just passionate about worship. God is not just passionate about doctrine or prayer. But God desires for his body, the local church, to be balanced. And that's why we are doing this series. We want to be passionate about the things that God is most passionate about. So on last week, we started off the series, and we specifically uh, took some time to look at the issue of worship. Uh, for us, we need to understand that worship comes from the old English word, worthship. It communicates value. When we worship something, we are expressing our value, and as a definition, we concluded that biblical worship is valuing, or biblical worship is a valuing or a treasuring of God above all things. Let me say it again. Biblical worship is a valuing or treasuring of God above all things, which means that unbiblical worship is a valuing or treasuring of something other than God. 
Last week, we focused on John chapter number 12, and we spoke about how Mary was willing to anoint Jesus. She had something that was very valuable, but she was willing to give it away. What she had in her life that was most valuable, she was willing to surrender something to the feet of Jesus. Uh, In my introduction, I talked about how Mary possessed an I get to attitude. Uh, So many times in life, we have a I have to attitude. I have to uh, go to church. I have to uh, wash the clothes. I have to pay the bills. But on the other side of it, I really do believe that God is calling us to have an I get to attitude. Because when we say I get to, it reminds us of the privilege that we have in Christ. This morning, I got to wake up. This morning, I got to come to church. This morning, I get to preach. Like, these are things that the Lord has blessed me with. And if I have the wrong perspective, if I have the wrong mentality, then I will not see things how God desires for me to see them. So as we continue our series this morning, we want to focus on another thing that we get to do. Just like we get to worship, we get to pray. We have the privilege of communicating with God. We have the privilege of being able to share our concerns and our cares to God. We have the privilege of allowing ourselves to make our request known to God. And here's the best thing thing about it. When we make our request known to God, the scriptures promise us that God not only hears us, but the scriptures promises us that God will answer us. I want to be very clear now. The the scripture does not promise that God will answer the way you want to be answered. But the scriptures promise us that God is willing to answer our prayers. So this morning, we want to turn our attention to Ephesians chapter number three. I'm going to read verses 14 uh, through 21 for us. Ephesians chapter number 14. I mean, Ephesians chapter number three, verses 14 through 21. You can let me know you have it. By saying amen. Amen. A little bit more. It's always good to hear those uh, pages turning in church. Verse 14 declares, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, and now unto him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So just for a few moments, I want to preach from the subject title, Clearly Communicating with Christ. Clearly Communicating with Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for the privilege that we have to be here this morning. God, if we're honest... When we approach the issue of prayer, it's very easy for us to become defensive because 
I don't think there's a person among us who's, who can say confidently that I pray enough. God, let us not be focused on our lack of prayer. God, but help us develop a heart that desires to spend time with you. God, help us to cultivate a heart and an atmosphere. Help us to be a church body that is willing to press pause on the world and focus on you. Though you know this morning I was struggling with whether or not to preach the passage in Ephesians or the passage in 2 Kings where Hezekiah turned his face from the wall. God, I just pray that you would teach us, God, how to turn our face away from the world. God, help us to turn our face to you. God, that we can hear clearly from you so we can trust you at a deeper level. God, it is my prayer that, that, that we would be a people, that we would be a body that is willing to surrender, that is willing to be patient, that is willing to hear clearly from you. God, this is my prayer. I pray that you would help us get to that place this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. There is a, a true story told of a fishing boat captain who had spent uh, many years walking with God. But unfortunately, toward the latter end of his life, he slowly drifted in his relationship with God. On one particular voyage, he found himself at sea with a crew of men who would consider themselves as all unbelievers. On a specific voyage, they encountered a significant storm. The winds and the waves were so rough that the boat almost capsized several times. The storm was so bad that the non-Christians on the boat called on the captain to pray since they remembered that he considered himself to be a believer in Jesus. They figured that if anyone could get a message to God, it would be the captain. So they begged the captain to pray. In response to their request, the, camp, the captain simply replied, and he confessed that I have been out of fellowship with God for a while now. He confessed, I really haven't been to church. I really haven't been reading my Bible. And I've come to a place in my life where I no longer sense God's presence in my life. He continued, it has been so long since I've prayed, I don't even know if I can help in this situation. But the storm got worse, and the captain figured it would not hurt anything to try. So he bowed his head, and he simply said, Lord, I have been out of fellowship with you for a long time, and I have already come to a place in my life where I know I need to grow. He says, Lord, I know I'm not where I need to be, but he says, Lord, I have not even tried to communicate with you for the past 15 years. And he says, but Lord, if you help me this time, and if you allow me to get it home safely, Lord, I promise you I won't bother you for another 15 years. <laughs> True story. It's unfortunate that that's how many of us approach the issue of prayer. It's not an active part of our lives. It's usually just a religious thing we do when everything else has failed. It's a thing that we don't pick up often. It's a thing that we pick up kind of as a religious a token. And if you don't hear anything this morning, I want you to hear this. Praying is important because when we pray, it is an opportunity for us to fellowship with God. I want you to hear that. 
When you pray, it is an opportunity for you to fellowship with God. It is a privilege that you and I have an opportunity to communicate with the creator of the world. I'm not even going to get political. Let's just say, let's say your favorite actor allowed you to come and talk to them, or your favorite business person, or your favorite, your your celebrity crush allowed you to come and spend some time with him. Wouldn't you be more than happy to set aside everything to spend time with that person? It's true that maybe you will never meet your celebrity crush. Maybe you will never meet the athlete who you desire to meet. Maybe you will never meet uh, someone who has uh, won an Academy Award. But here's the truth. When God tells us to pray, God is saying, I want to meet with you. I want to communicate with you. I want to spend time talking with you. That's something that we could do daily. We need to understand that prayer is an opportunity to fellowship with God, and prayer is not simply giving God a wish list. It is not me going to God, giving God a list of demands, but when I pray, It gives me an opportunity to fellowship with God, but it also gives God an opportunity to communicate with me. Just like worship, prayer is not something that I have to do. Praying is something that I get to do. We get to cast our cares upon God. We get to communicate with God. We get to uh, experience the promises of God. We get to know that he answers our prayers. When we pray, it blesses us because praying reminds us of who God is. I want to say that. When you pray, it is a reminder of not who you are, but it is first a reminder of who God is, all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present, and never able to fail. Prayer also reminds us, secondly, of who we are. It reminds us that God loves us. It reminds us that God has a plan for us. It reminds us that God has a purpose for my life. Prayer also changes us. Prayer is not about me getting my will done in heaven. When I pray, it is about God allowing his will to be done on the earth. So as we look at this passage, we need to understand praying is a big deal, not because it's what I'm preaching on. Praying is a big deal because it's a big deal to God. We need to get to the place in our life where the, the things that are a big deal to God need to be a big deal to us. There are a lot of things that are a big deal to me that mean absolutely nothing to God. When you look at the text I read this morning, I read verses 14 through 21 in the third chapter of the book of Ephesians. I believe it is worth noting that the book of Ephesians contains two powerful passages that teach us how to pray. And the first passage is the passage I preached on of the first Sunday that we were here as a church. It's Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. When we look at that passage specifically, it is a prayer for enlightenment. It is a prayer for enlightenment. In chapter number one, the prayer looks back at the hope of our calling. It looks forward to the inheritance in heaven. And then looks around to the present power that is working toward us who believe. And while the first prayer clearly focuses on enlightenment, the second prayer in chapter number three focuses on enablement. Let me say that again. The second prayer focuses on the issue of enablement. 
we know uh, from context that Paul is writing the letter. He's in prison. And when he's writing the letter, he's not writing about getting out of prison. He's praying and he's writing that God will be more present in our lives. I want you to catch this. Paul is praying what is true about them would be experienced by them. Say it again. He is praying that what is true about them would be experienced by them. In the Christian life, there can be some things that are true about you that, not, uh, that are not experienced by you. In the first uh, chapter of Ephesians, it speaks about how God has designed the Christian life to be a life of freedom. But who in here can testify that we don't always feel free? We don't always feel peace. We don't always feel redeemed. We don't always feel set free. In chapter number two, Paul speaks about the truth that when you place your faith in Christ, the Bible says that you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. But how many people can be honest this morning and say, I don't always feel like God's workmanship. I don't always feel like I have purpose in my life. I don't always feel like I'm able to make an impact with my life. When you look at the text, Paul is praying that the benefits and the blessings that accompany your relationship with God be experienced in your life. The experience is not about you having your best life now. The experience is not about you doing your own thing. The experience is about you experiencing the truth about what God has said in his word. So as Paul prays, we see three significant points here. Number one, as Paul begins to pray, he communicates with God Humbly, he communicates with God humbly. Verse 14 says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. The opening statement, for this reason I kneel or I bow, may not get our attention, especially because a lot of us in the culture, we are willing to kneel and pray. But in context, it's remarkable because historically, Jews would not kneel to pray, they would stand to pray. If you will have the privilege of going to Jerusalem, there's a place called the Welling Wall, and you will see people standing and rocking to pray. What Paul is communicating in Ephesians is a different kind of prayer. It's not a routine. It's not a religious notion. He's saying, I'm not going through the motions, but he's saying that the issue that I'm praying about is so serious that even my posture needs to change. This is not the, Lord, I lay me down to sleep kind of prayer. This is not the, uh, Lord, bless this food kind of prayer. This is, Lord, I have something significant to say to you, so I'm going to literally change every aspect about my posture so that I can be heard by you. I, I cannot almost feel the tension in the room where somebody's probably saying, well, T settles, does it really matter what posture you pray in? I mean, if you look at the scriptures, there are a lot of different postures. I mean, Abraham stood before the Lord in uh, Genesis 18 when he prayed. Um, David sat before the Lord in 1 Chronicles 17. Uh, Jesus fell on his face in Matthew 26. And I want you to catch this. It's not necessarily about the, the, the physical posture of a person. It's more about the posture of your heart. When we think about him bowing his knees, really he's saying, I'm bowing and submitting my heart. Anytime we pray, 
Biblically, we are submitting our will to the will of God. We are writing a, I like to think about my prayers as a resignation letter. I am resigning from trying to do things on my own strength. I'm getting to a place in my life where I'm saying to the Lord, I cannot do this by myself. Lord, I need your help. There's a movie that probably, I'm pretty sure a few of you guys have seen back in 20, uh, 20, uh, 2005. There's a movie called Cinderella Man. It was a movie starring Russell Crowe. Um, he was a man who lived during the Great Depression. Uh, he couldn't find work. Uh, his, his electricity had been turned off. Uh, his apartment was cramped. He had a wife and three kids. Uh, reluctantly, he got to a place in his life where he had to go to the government assistance office to ask for food stamps and ask for his bills to be paid. There's, there's a scene in this movie where he, he literally breaks down because he does not desire to go and ask for help. His pride is just in the way. He's a man. He's an American. He's a boxer. He just does not want to get to a place where he has to go and ask for assistance. But he gets to a point in his life where he realizes that he could not do this in his own strength. So he asks, he has to ask for help. When I think about it, the, the, the Christian life can be very similar to that. We can, we can get to a place in our life well, we are just too proud to ask for help. We're just too proud to humble ourselves and acknowledge that we cannot do things in our own strength. Many of us, we don't pray because we don't want to acknowledge that we don't have everything figured out for ourselves. The truth of the matter is, and this is me preaching to myself, I am so prideful that I want to figure it out on my own. I, I really do believe I'm smart enough to kind of come up with a plan to make things go the way they need to be. I, I'm wise enough. I'm strong enough. I, I, I have enough experience so that, that I can get to a place in my life where I can figure things out on my own. When in reality, I need God's help. Not speaking about the big test or the big surgery. We all pray about that kind of stuff, right? I'm saying the daily request to ask God for help. I'm speaking about the, the humility to ask God to help you love your spouse. The humility to ask God to help you be patient with your children. The humility to ask God to help you be more like Christ, to serve like Christ, to respond like Christ. I'm speaking about the humility to admit when you are wrong. The willingness to ask God uh, for help in changing your attitude and changing uh, how you respond to people. I'm, I'm talking about uh, the, the humility to ask God to help you to respond to the issues of life in a way that brings honor and glory to God. I'm saying the humility to ask God to help you make disciples, to help you fulfill the mission of God, to help you to be faithful in every area of your life. In the text, Paul is willing to be submissive because he understood that God is sovereign. How do we know that God is sovereign? Go back with me to verse 15. He says, Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Paul addressed God as Father, and in doing so, he is communicating that God the Father gives us life, but he also gives us our identity. That's what a father would do, or a father would be known for in the culture. The father would be known for giving life and giving the identity. The statement to whom all are named speaks to the sovereignty of God 
because it is God who creates all of us. He gives us life. But here's the point I want to make. It not only speaks to the fact that God gives us life, but secondly, it is God who gives us our identity. So many of us, even this morning, we're struggling with our identity because we want to find our identity outside of God's will for our life. So many of us, we struggle with the identity that is connected to our job, that's connected to our families, our marital status, our education, our sexual preference, the number of kids we have. I want to say something this morning. I want to tell you, your identity is not determined outside of God's will. Your, your identity is determined based upon Christ. There are two simple identities here this morning. Either you have accepted Christ and you have an identity as a son or a daughter, or you have rejected Christ and you have an identity of being a slave to sin. If you go back to chapter number one of Ephesians, it speaks to how God has adopted us into his family, how, how, God is, how God desires for us to be accepted, and how God desires for us to be, uh, to be able to experience his love. And it reminds us that we have an opportunity to have an identity that is found in Christ. That means that success, significance, purpose is defined by God. It's not defined by social media. It's not defined uh, by my bank account. It's not defined by what people say about me. My identity needs to be found in Christ. Paul was willing to humbly pray because he understood that the greatest gift that we have is found in Christ Jesus. So first, Paul communicates with God humbly. But secondly, Paul communicates with God honestly. Verse 16 says that according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. When you read this section, it is very easy to be confused or to have a significant question about the text. Paul is praying for Christ to dwell in our hearts and for the Holy Spirit to strengthen our hearts. Now, some of us see this as a contradiction because in chapter number one, it says that the moment you believe that Christ becomes present in your life. Go back with me with, go back to me with, uh, to first uh, Ephesians chapter number one, verse 13, it says, it's on the screen. And him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So if we were sealed with the Holy Spirit in chapter number one, why is Paul praying that the Holy Spirit would dwell in our lives in chapter number three? Some would even say, like, see, preacher, this is why I don't read the Bible. It's contradictions in the scriptures. This is why I, this is why I cannot trust this, because from chapter one to chapter three, God has changed his mind. It's not true. Paul is not praying in chapter number three that the Holy Spirit be present Paul is praying in chapter number three that the Holy Spirit be experienced. Paul is praying that the truth that is apparent in their lives will be experienced by way of the Holy Spirit. Paul is saying that the truth about them needed to be experienced by them. That's why we pray. That's why we want our church, well, that's why we want prayer to be a part of the DNA of this church. Because we want, to, we want you to experience the truth that God has already declared about your life. And this can only happen 
through God answering a significant prayer. We want you as a church body, we want you to experience the love of Christ. We want you to experience the forgiveness of Christ. We want you to experience the community of Christ, the growth in Christ. When Paul prays, he's praying that God would answer the prayer according to his riches in glory. In the text, Paul is praying that the answer uh, be given not based upon what he personally possessed. He's praying that the prayer be answered based upon what God possessed in heaven for eternity. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we were, we were privileged to go to uh, the Great Wolf Lodge down in uh, LaGrange, and my kids had a great time. Uh, we spent way too much money down there, and, and uh, we ended up going to the arcade. And um, I put some money on the, on the card, and my kids could go and swipe the card. They were having a great time. I mean, they were having a ball. They were having a wonderful time. They were getting tokens, and they were just running around the arcade until the card ran out. <laughs> I mean, when, hey, when, when that card ran out, boy, ooh, it was like, Avita and I were, we, we were questioning whether or not we should have ever stepped in the arcade. Because in their mind, they, they, they needed an unlimited car. They wanted unlimited access to all the games, but, but, but because of the way our bank account is set up. That's for Robert. That's for Robert. Anyway, but, but the reality of it is in the text, in the text, Paul is praying that God answer the prayer based upon what God had in reserve. He's praying that God would answer his prayers based upon the riches that were only possessed in eternity. I love the fact that Paul had a lot of great friends. He had young Timothy, he had Tychicus, he had Priscilla and Aquila, he had Lydia, he had Barnabas. He had a lot of people who he could have appealed to, but he got to a place in his life where he understood that this appeal, this request, this, this answer that I need can only come from God. It's amazing to me that a lot of times we will talk to everyone about our issues other than God. We talk to people on Instagram. We talk to people on Facebook. We talk to people who can do absolutely nothing to fix our issues. But here in the text, I love it because Paul is honest enough to go to God because he realizes that it is only God who can answer the request that he had to make. So number one, Paul communicates with God humbly. He communicates with God honestly. And then thirdly, Paul communicates with God hopefully. Verse 17 says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. If you guys know me personally, you know that personally I am, I am just in love with houses. I just enjoy thinking about designing houses. Me and Fernando all the time. We texting each other houses we cannot afford all the time, right? <laughs> I, 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 I was able to build a house last year, and before the house was completed, I was already thinking about the next house I wanted to build. True story. So, so as I'm reading verses 16 through 20, the, the, the picture that's painted on my mind is that God is trying to build every believer up like a house. 
The house that, that God is trying to build is not a contemporary house or a, a traditional house. It's not a farmhouse style house. It is a house that is identified by love. In the text, he's saying that I am praying that you, be, that you are able to experience a house that is rooted and grounded in love. The verb rooted moves us into the agricultural world. A plant or a tree must get its roots deep into the soil to provide nourishment and stability. The Christian life is the same way. For us to grow, our roots got to go deeper. Our roots got to be deeper in the love of God. One of the most important questions that we can ask ourselves is, from what do I draw my nourishment and my stability? Am I being, I'm, I'm going to say some things. I hope, that I, I hope that I touch everybody in the room, right? So I'm going to say a lot of different things, right? Am I being nourished by my bank account? Am I finding stability in my bank account? Am I being nourished by the world? Am I being nourished by things that dishonor the Lord? Am I being nourished by relationships that are outside of God's will? Am I being nourished in a way that, that breaks God's heart? Like so many of us, we, we can get excited about things. We can be nourished by things that do not honor the Lord. Like when you look at uh, your life, like what is the thing that brings you the most joy? What is the thing that brings you the most peace? Is it just winning a football game on Saturday? Is it just going to a concert? Is it just uh, getting a deal closed? Is it just getting a promotion on your job? Like what is the thing in your life that nourishes you the most? In the text, it, it is a challenge that, that for us to go high, we first got to go deep. For you to grow deep in your relationship with Christ, for, for you to grow, grow higher in your relationship with Christ, you got to grow deeper in the roots that are found in love. So Paul's saying, first, you got to be rooted, but secondly, he says, you got to be grounded. You got to be grounded in the knowledge of God. You got to be grounded uh, to a place where you are able to comprehend the thing that God has given you. Um, I've used this illustration before, but it's so good. And there's a story told of a young man named Danny Simpson. Uh, at the age of 24, Danny Simpson robbed a bank in Ottawa, Canada at gunpoint. Uh, during his heist, he was only able to get $6,000. Um, shortly after he was captured, the real tragedy of this true story is that the weapon he used was a 1918 45 caliber uh, semi-automatic Colt weapon. Uh, the Colt actually was worth $100,000. Danny Simpson robbed a bank for $6,000 with a weapon worth $100,000. The problem that Danny had is the problem that we have. We don't know what we possess. Like so many of us are struggling with understanding what we possess in Christ. I want to say this, too, because I think it's important for us to talk about marriage. It's, it's easy for me to neglect what I have in Avita. It's easy for me to think that there's something better out there. But the truth of the matter is God's best for me is with my wife. What's, what's, what's God's best for me is not found outside of God's will. It's found in God's will. So many of us are thinking that if I was just uh, more thinner, if I was just had more money, if I had a better job, we're thinking that something better outside is going to fulfill us and give us our identity. But here's the truth. What Christ has given us is so much greater than what we have outside in the world. Amen. 
So Paul prays that we might know the breadth, the height, the length, and the depth of his love. One of my favorite preachers says this way. He says, breath means the love that is wide enough to embrace the world. Length means love long enough to last for eternity. Height means a love which is high enough to take sinners to heaven. And depth, which is love that is deep enough to allow Christ to leave heaven to come to the earth. You look at the text. It's very clear that God wants something wonderful for us. God wants something special and unique for us, but that happens when we get to a place where we understand the love of Christ, not the materials of Christ or the, the, the material blessings of Christ. It is the love of Christ that compels us. It is the love of Christ where we get to a place in our life where we understand that I am forgiven, that I am accepted, and that God has, has taken care of eternity because he truly loves me. I want the band to come on back up, and we're going to get ready to close. But as we close, we first want to think about three very specific points of application. So number one, when we think about the issue of prayer, we got to understand, number one, that when we communicate with God, the communication must be in humility. We must get to a place in our life where we're not just giving God our, our, our wish list. We're not just giving God the things that we want him to do, but we are coming to a place in our lives where we are humbly submitting our will to the Lord. And that's hard. For, for me personally, that's hard because all of us are, are struggling because all of us want things done our way. All of us want things done in a way that brings us honor and brings us glory. And we got to get to a place where we understand that what God has for us is so much better than what we have for ourselves. And that means I humbly accept that God's way is better than my way. So secondly, after we communicate with God humbly, We've also got to communicate with God honestly. We've got to get to a place in our life where we can be real about where we are. Um, I cannot stand how we come to church and we say things that are just not true. How you doing? Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored in heavenly places. Everything's going great. <laughs> Knowing we're struggling. Knowing you and your wife or you and your husband were cussing each other out on the way to church. Knowing the kids that you got are driving you crazy. And rather than being honest about needing help, rather than being honest about your struggle, you feel like you got to put on this Christian mask because you are trying to impress people. So I want you guys to be honest about where you are. Not, not accepting the struggle, not making light of sin. Do not hear me saying that, but if you are struggling, you need to be honest about your struggle. One of the ways, um, one of the ways I am... Um, I'm growing in my relationship with Christ is I want to be honest from here. I want to be honest about what's going on. I want to be honest about my struggles, right? I don't want you guys to think that we are, just because I'm on this stage and I have it all together and I'm perfect and I never have a bad day. We need to be honest about what's going on in our life. And thirdly, and I'm done, not only do we need to communicate with God honestly and we need to communicate with God humbly, but thirdly, and I'm done, we need to communicate with God 
hopefully. There's a lot of hope in the Christian life. There's a lot of hope in the Christian life because, not because it's, it's wishful thinking. There's a lot of hope because of what Christ has given us. And my prayer as your pastor is that you can comprehend the love of Christ, that you can get to a place in your life spiritually where you understand that if God really loves me, that if God really left heaven and came to earth, that if God really died for my sins, that if God really has prepared a home for me in eternity forever, there is absolutely nothing on this earth that will get better than that. So many of us are held hostage because we're hopeful in a job or a relationship or something temporal, but the real hope that we have can only be found in Christ. I want everybody to stand, and I, I love, on some level, making you guys uncomfortable. So here's what we're going to do today. As my sister.